All right. What's up, third nine? There we go. There we go. Well, hey, I'm excited to be up here tonight uh, to give to be preaching the word. Uh, so my name is Kellen. Um, I know many of you in here, but if you don't know me, a few things to know about me. One in particular is, look, I, I love sports. I'm a diehard sports fan. My Cowboys won yesterday, so I'm, I'm running on on high right now. I'm excited. Don't get this opportunity much to have a playoff win for the Cowboys, so I'm excited right now. So excuse my excitement that I'll have, but, you know, yesterday led me to that. We haven't had it in a while, so there you go. So one thing, I love sports, right? And I played sports all the way up to, to college. Got a chance to play college basketball uh, where Chelsea and I met, and she played sports as well, so I married an athlete. There you go. And then also I, I, I landed a job at 24-Hour Fitness, so – you know, I, I couldn't be a professional athlete, but next best thing is go work for a fitness company where I'm around health and fitness and weights and people that used to be athletes and the retired athletes and worn worn out just like I am. Uh, no more. They're not involved anymore, but still like to call ourselves athletes and make yourself feel good. Right. So I work for 24 hour fitness. I'm always around sports. I'm always around working out and things like that. Love it. Another thing that I love about sports is just random data, stats and then just random facts about sports. I get a kick out of it. So I'll give you a few of those nuggets that, that I like that, that get me all geeked up and get me excited about some things. You'll probably be like, what is that? So first thing is, is basketball. So one thing about basketball, when basketball first started, they used to attach the rim to the mezzanine, which is basically the balcony. So picture the balcony. They used to attach the, the rim to the balcony, and that's how they would play. So there was no backboard. So basically you got your crowd sitting right here, a rim sitting right there. And can you imagine that, right? You know, it's last second shot, right? Three, two, one. That shot goes up, and then you have a 10-year-old kid that just smacks it out the way. And what, what do you do, right? Do, do you go replay that, or does it just not count? Is that home court advantage? I, I don't know, but it's weird. So that's why they develop backboards, right? So then you didn't have the fan interference, right? That's one. So let's go to baseball. Baseball, another random sport about that is America's pastime, right? We just sit around and watch baseball. It's scheduled for three hours. You know how many minutes the game of baseball is actually played where action is happening? Less than 18. Let that sink in. So you spend three hours prepping for this game. You're sitting there watching the game, doing whatever for three hours, and you're only getting 18 minutes of action. Like, who wants to do that, right? That's another fact. There you go. And then so a couple random facts. Anybody ever said, hey, that's hands down the best thing I've ever had? Anybody use that phrase, hands down? Any idea where it came from? 1832. I'm take you way back. 1832. It was a horse race going on, and there was a jockey that won the race, and he was so far ahead of everybody else that he, he didn't need to hit the horse on the side. He didn't need to whip it. He didn't need to use the reins to get it to giddy up, if you will. He just dropped his hands, and he, he won that convincingly to where the, I don't think they had announcers back then, but somebody made a comment to say, that guy just won hands down. And so later in the 1850s, that phrase became coined to where they said, if you just win and it was just no contest, then hands down, you're the winner. So now we use that now. It's not horse racing. We use it for food. We use it for random stuff now. It's hands down. But that's where it came from. And you ask me, like, how do you, where do you get all this stuff from and why are you infatuated by all this stuff? Well, the last random fact that I'll give you is in 365 days throughout the year, there's only two days that NFL – NHL, MLB, or NBA is not on TV. And that's the day before and the day after MLB All-Star break. That's it. So 
out of all those other days throughout the year, you got sports on. And so you can see how you just get just swallowed in the sports and you, you, you get infatuated with it and you watch it. And it can become dangerous. It can become an idol if you don't watch out for it, right? So those are just miscellaneous facts that next time you play Kahoot here at church, you're welcome because I just gave you some answers there and I'm sure they'll probably be on the next one or you're playing some random trivia game. I just gave you some answers there. So just drop some knowledge on you. You're welcome for that. But that stuff is useless, right? That's probably once in a lifetime you'll use that information. Once in a lifetime you might have a conversation where you need to tell somebody that they didn't have backboards when the NBA first started or basketball first started. But I want to talk about something today that's a little bit more prevalent to society. I want to talk about something that's a little bit more prevalent to all of you, and that's anxiety, right? So anxiety is something that just it, it, it swarms our world. It's, it's everywhere right now, and you hear about many people that, that deal with it. They have a hard time with it, and they take medication. They go see people, and it's just everywhere, especially you've been in college right now. A lot of your peers, a lot of your coworkers are dealing with anxiety, and it's, 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 it's sad because some people just don't think there's hope. They don't think there's a control for it. I'll give you some stats that, you know, this, this might hit closer to home when we talk about anxiety. So in 2015, the National College Health Assessment Survey that was done at Boston University, they stated that one in every six college students are taking medication or <clears throat> they have a mental illness, a classified mental illness of anxiety, right? One in six. So if you look to your left and look to your right right now, one out of every six people that are in college right now, they have a, a mental illness of anxiety, right? And that doesn't even count the people that deal with anxiety that haven't went and saw doctors or gone and get treatment for it. That number is 56.9. So we're talking about almost 60% of college students today are dealing with anxiety, more than half, right? And then I'll, I'll, I'll give you a simple one, 100% of college students and adults, they, they have the temptation to fall into anxiety. We all do, right? Every, every time you wake up, there's, there's some temptation to be anxious or worried or stressed out about something. It's going to be there, right? And I'll give you the last little data point on this is I read something else, and there's, there's surveys that vary on this number, but 85% of the things that we worry about, they're just worry. They don't even happen. They don't even come true, right? And so I tell you that information and not so you can say, okay, 85%, that means it won't happen. So I, I can just hold on to that and I can be good. Me telling you 85% of the things that you worry about don't actually come true, that's not going to help you out. But what I do want to do today is I want to spend some time talking about what are some specific steps that we can take that we can make sure that anxiety is not overwhelming us. It's not conquering our world. It's not conquering our bodies to where we can't control it anymore. Now, hopefully, by the time we leave here today, <clears throat> you can walk away and say, I got some nuggets, I got some tactics, and I got some things specifically from Scripture that's going to help me deal with anxiety when it comes, because it's going to come. A hundred percent of us, that means all of us, are going to deal with anxiety at some point, right? So I hope we can get there. So if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to me. Um, our passage for the day is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. So as you're, you're turning there, I'll give you the introduction to kind of talk about Philippians a little bit and bring us to where we are um, in verse 6. So it, when we look at the book of Philippians, we got Paul who's in prison right now. He's writing from prison. So Paul is t talking to uh, the Christians in the Roman colon colony of Philippi. Okay? And so th this Philippians, these Philippians, excuse me, are very important to Paul. This was the first church that he founded in Europe. So they, they're near and dear to his heart. 
And I'll tell you something about the, the Philippians is they're a healthy congregation from a spiritual standpoint. They're doing pretty well. So Paul writes this book of Philippians, giving them encouragement, giving them like this encouragement to press on, to continue to doing, continue doing what he taught them to do. Right. So he he modeled the way he talked to them. He shared the gospel with them and opened their minds up to it. And so he's just telling them, hey, press on, continue to do what I what I what I modeled for you. Don't let anything disturb you. Yeah. So word was out that Paul was in prison. And as you can imagine, like the founder of this church is in prison now. So they're in a little disarray right now. They are a little anxious, as you can imagine. He's looming possible. Uh, he might be killed, right? He might be killed. He's, he's up for that. He's in prison right now. So they're trying to figure out, like, what's going on with Paul? Should we be worried? What's going to happen to him? Are we ever going to see him again? This is our founder. What are we going to do? And Paul writes them a letter to say, hey, don't be anxious. I'm okay. I know I'm in prison, but I'm doing okay. All right. Paul uses the word rejoice nine times in, in the four chapters of Philippians. And so he's telling them, hey, rejoice. I'm, I'm happy. I'm okay. I'm fine. You don't worry about me. Don't be anxious is what Paul is telling them. Don't be anxious about it. So let's open up and, and take a look at verse six. And I'll read it for you from the ESV. So starting in verse six, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I mentioned that we're all going to face a temptation to be anxious. And Paul, Paul states it here. We're going to face a temptation to be anxious. There's just no way of denying it. But the Bible is very clear. It's saying, do not be anxious. And I know you're looking at me right now. You're like, well, Kellen, you don't know my situation, right? My situation is unique. I can't control my anxiety. It just overcomes me. Well, that's a problem. That's still sin, right? That's still sin. We cannot allow that to happen. We can't allow that to just continue to overcome us, right? We got to be able to control that. We got to be able to have specific tactics on how do we control anxiety, okay? So that's most people's first response. Paul uses a specific word of anything, right? Nothing should be worth being anxious about. Okay. And you might look at it and say, well, Paul, Paul, that's easy for Paul to say, is it? Is it easy for Paul to say? You take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul gives you the whole resume, the whole resume of how he suffered. So Paul's been beaten. Paul's been stoned. Paul's been thrown in jail multiple times. So if anybody can say, don't be anxious, he has the right to say it. Right. So, Paul, you're telling me there's no exceptions, right? Can't be anxious about anything, but it's going to happen to me all the time. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, that's point number one for us tonight. Let's write it down like this. Always be fighting anxiety. Always be fighting anxiety. The Bible makes it very clear. Being anxious, being worried, it is a sin. That's us not having trust that God is in full control. It's us saying that our problems are bigger than what God can handle. So Jesus talks about this specifically. So anytime that you're starting to think about, okay, like I'm struggling with anxiety. These are problems that I'm having and I feel like are unique to me. They haven't been dealt with before. Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount a lot of anxiety issues that we deal with today. 
So I want you to turn there with me in Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. So I'm going to break down this Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to break down specific sections out of it, specific verses. So if you look at verse 27, verse 27 says, And which you, by being anxious, can add a single hour, in which you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life question mark. So we're talking about time. We're talking about time here, being anxious about time. One thing that kind of comes to mind for all of you is is deadlines. When I think about time, deadlines are something that you all have to deal with right now in college, right? You got homework due on a certain day. You got an essay, something due on a certain day. And as that day approaches and and you're far behind, you get worried about it. You get more anxious of, I'm not going to get it done. And I need more time. I just need more time. Well, I'll tell you a little secret. Those deadlines, they don't go away. When you get a job, they just magnify, right? You start, you start going from, man, if I don't turn in this paper, then I'm going to get a bad grade. When you get a job, it's, man, if I don't get this turned in on time, I'm going to get fired. I might not have a job after this, right? So these are things you've got to start working on today. The deadlines, they're there. But that's not something to be anxious about. We can't let ourselves be anxious about it because being anxious is not going to do anything for us. Let's take a look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Clothing is one. Your social image, right? What am I going to wear today? What are the people that are going to be there? What are they going to think about my outfit or what I have on? Right? I'm spending all this time trying to figure out what I'm going to wear. And I know I've been there before. I was in college, in high school. Like, I used to wear this shirt. Like, I had, I had a specific shirt, and I'm like, everybody has to see this shirt. I'm going to get 100 compliments today. If I don't get 100 compliments, something's wrong with everybody else, right? So I'm walking around with this shirt on. I mean, randomly, I'm, through conversation, they're like, hey, how you doing? I was like, what, this shirt? <laughs> Didn't even ask. What? What are you talking about? But I wanted people to notice my shirt. I was so worried about people trying to give me compliments and wanting to know, hey, where'd you get that shirt from? Where'd you get those pants from? Where'd you get those shoes from? That's what consumed me. And I started to get anxious thoughts when people didn't notice it. I'm like, what's wrong with people? Did they not see how pressed and clean my shirt was? I took it to the dry cleaners. You didn't see that? So that's something that we worry about. But, but in all reality, we put so much stress on what we're going to wear and how we're going to clothe our body. In six, six months from now, in a year from now, you probably won't even remember what you wore at a specific event. But in that time, it was stressful. It was something that really mattered to you. You put a lot of emphasis on it. And a lot of you are wearing clothes today. There's people out there that don't have clothes. So we need to be grateful about those things, okay? So let's look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Okay? So we're talking about food and drink. How many people in here, and I know the answer to this because we got Costco pizza and we got beverages back there, but how many people in here had something to eat or had something to drink this week? Raise your hand. Okay, all of you. And I know there's a few of you out there. Kellen, my New Year's resolution is to to drop weight, and so I'm not eating. Well, you're going to pass out. Don't do that, okay? I work for 24-hour physics. I can tell you that's not a solution, right? Eat the right food, and then you'll get there, okay? But that's not a real problem here in South Orange County. There's people out there that that's a true problem for. That's a concern of what they're going to eat because they do not have food. I know college students. I've been there. I'm talking to you right now. It's, look, you, you might not have what you want every night. I know. I had cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner plenty of times in college. 
wasn't because I didn't have anything to eat. It was because cafeteria food is disgusting. I don't want anything to do with it. So I eat cereal, right? I'll eat Fruit Loops, Cheerios. I'll switch it up, right? Make sure I have a well-balanced meal. All right, so verse 34. Let's drop down a little bit. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we talk about tomorrow. Many of you just came off the heels of this. You took finals. And you wondered, man, what am I going to get on that paper? What am I going to get on that test? What am I going to score in that class? Or you're looking forward to 2019. What class am I going to take? How am I going to do? Is that going to be too much for me to handle? Right? Why am, why am I not getting married? Everybody's getting married out here. Why am I not getting married? Right? Those are things that we worry about. They, they, they're just not worth our concern. Right? And the Bible tells us that. The Bible is very clear on that, that, these things, they shouldn't make an impact for us. Now, the other thing is social media. We take a look at social media and we try to compare ourselves to everybody out there in social media, right? We're, we're all guilty of it. I do the same thing, so I'm, I'm with you there. But we look at social media and we look at everybody that's posting pictures of this perfect life or posting videos of how nothing can go wrong in their life. You all know that. Outside of those pictures, it's probably some stress, some anxiety, some depression. And people post those pictures more often than not to make themselves feel good, to make themselves feel like they got a life that's not really what reality is. It's this fake image over here that's going to give me a lot of likes and make me feel better. So don't compare yourself to social media. Get rid of that. That's not real. Okay? So through all these things that a lot of these, if not all of them, probably, probably were near and dear to your heart. You're, you're experiencing a lot of them right now. Jesus put this together over 2,000 years ago, and he told us these are some of the things that we're going to deal with. These are some of the anxieties that we're going to face. They're still prevalent today, but through all of that, he's saying, don't worry. Don't be anxious. I know they're going to come. Don't be anxious. So we got to pay attention to that. So, Kellen, you're saying don't care about anything. I'm not saying don't care about anything. That's not, that's not it. There's a difference between caring about something and then letting it consume your whole entire mind to where you, you, your mind's just racing, it's uncontrollable, there's no way to deal with it, and it, it makes you sick. That's what I'm talking about. That's not okay, right? There's a big difference. So turn with me to Philippians 2.19. Philippians 2.19. And it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I, too, may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul wanted to send Timothy. He talks about concern. He talks about worry. He talks about anxious. But he's, he, he's worried about their salvation, their sanctification. He wants to make sure that they're still headed down the right path. So that's talking about a godly anxiety, right? It's a little bit different. There's also the, the anxiousness or the worry that's instant. That's just your natural reaction. So if you're standing out there in the parking lot after church and you see a kid that's starting to head down the street and there's a car coming, the kid doesn't see the street, the car coming, out of just natural reaction, you're going to be like, stop, wait, come back. You're not going to allow that kid just to walk in the street, right? And that's that, that, that's that reaction that you have of worry. You see what can happen. You see this car coming, this kid just walking in the street very nonchalant, and he's going to get killed by this car, potentially, right? And so you, you, you yell out, and you make sure that it's heard. But that's right there in that moment. 
it'd be different if you took that to the next level and then all of a sudden every time you went out and you saw kids playing and you got stressed out because like somebody's going to get hit by a car i don't know if these kids are crazy right now they're going to run out there it's uncontrollable it's making my head hurt i can't i got to leave that's the problem that paul is talking about here we can't be anxious like that because then we're not trusting that god is in control of the situation and we're letting it bother us Another, another little illustration that, that's silly with this one is, like, you know those cartoons that they'll have, like, a snowball at the top of the mountain, and it starts off real small, and then it starts rolling down, and it, is, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger, and it's this massive snowball that's just on the run. Nobody can contain it. It's just destroying everything that's in front of it. That's what I'm talking about. We can't let it get to that point to where our mind starts racing, and we can't even control what's going on in our mind. Okay? So... We got to know most of the time also that the things that we're anxious about, they're reoccurring. The things that have happened to us in the past, that they're happening again, and we're going through the same pattern. That's called insanity, right? We're doing the same thing, getting the same results, but we we, we think we're going to get something different because we're doing the same thing. That's that's not how it works. So I'll I'll give you a few preventative measures here uh, that you can jot down that just keep in mind that will help you when you face that temptation to be anxious. Number one is, is learn from the past. You've been through this before. You've struggled with it before. Don't go do the same exact thing that you did that caused you to struggle the first time. Pray about it. Figure out what God can do for you to get you out of this situation so that it doesn't occur again. It might not be perfect the next time, but don't fall into the same trap. Number two, accountability partners. I think that's underutilized, especially with all of us. Like, you got fellow believers that want to help you out, but you got to let them. Some of us in here, we don't like to be challenged. We don't like for people to call us out. We want to be right all the time. It's okay to be challenged. It's going to make you better, and it's going to make you give more glory to God. It's going to sanctify you, and so you need those accountability partners. Don't shy away from them. Number three, surround yourself with the right people. You need people in your life that know you well, that can call you out when things are, are going wrong for you, when you're slipping back into that temptation to be anxious, you got to have people that are going to call you out and say, hey, you're doing it again. Let's pray together. Let's figure that out. And don't go the misery loves company route, right? You know what I'm talking about? You, you start to go get friends that you're like, they, they're horrible with, with anxiety. I'm going to go deal with them to make myself feel better. Don't do that. It doesn't do anything for you to be the best of the worst. Go get people that are better than you in that area and that can help you, that can give you specific things that will help you come out of anxiety, such as prayer, right? Number four, keep reminders close that will steer you, or steer your mind, excuse me, back to God. Keep reminders close that will steer your mind back to God. I wear two rubber bands on on my wrist, one on each wrist. Yeah, that, one on each wrist. There you go. So what they are, is they're good reminders for me. One is Colossians 3.2, is set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, right? Now, First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And so for me, like when I, when I have those times of I'm, I'm, I'm having these anxious thoughts or I'm, I'm seeing that temptation that's coming, is I can just look right down at my wrist and it's like, okay, Don't focus on what's happening right now. Focus on up here. How can I glorify God in this situation, right? And then I have the other one of of pray. 
I could be going throughout the whole day and I forget like, oh, man, I, I need to be praying about this situation. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much that I need to be praying for right now. The last one, number five, that I'll give you is avoid isolation. Avoid isolation. I'll tell you right now, isolation is the easy thing to do, right? It's like, man, I'm, I'm having problems right now. I'm struggling. I'm going to go home and then just be by myself and I'm going to have a talk with myself. It's the worst thing you can do, right? The devil loves isolation. He wants you to be by yourself. He wants you to be in your head. He wants you to be thinking all these thoughts of, I can't get out of this. I'm, I'm just a failure. There's no hope in life. This is pointless. That's what Satan wants. You got to understand, you got to get around other people. It's not comfortable. You need to get around other believers that are going to challenge you, that are going to help you get out of that funk, okay? And then when we think about that, and the same thing I mentioned Satan is, you have to understand that Satan's primary job is to cause you to stumble, right? He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He wants you to fail. He's not out there trying to be your friend. Understand, Satan is not going to put something in front of you that your heart doesn't desire okay if you like you know fish over steak satan's not gonna you know put a whole bunch of steakhouses around you and you like fish that's just not there right that's a silly one but you get where i'm going with that he's not gonna put things in front of you where you're not gonna be like man i want that so bad i really want it okay he's gonna put stuff in front of you that that looks so good that it, it feels like it can't be right it can't be wrong, excuse me, to not have that. He's going to make you feel like, I got to have this, otherwise I can't live without it. That's Satan's job. When you understand that he's there to cause you to stumble, he's there to defend you from God, to try to keep you from getting closer to God, then you understand that these anxieties, these stresses, these worries, they're going to come, but you know that that's Satan working. Okay? First Peter 5 8 through 10. You can turn there. I'll just read it really quickly so we can um, keep going here. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after... You have suffered a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Satan knows you well. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. He's going to put it right in front of you, exactly what you like. Advertising, marketing, they all do this. right? We drive around and we see these billboards and we see all these things that just lure us in. They get our attention. They try to make things look better than what they really are. Anybody ever seen infomercials? That means you have to be up like at 5 a.m. or be, you know, at midnight or past that time. They have these infomercials that come on, right? And so these infomercials, they're just these, these loud, for no reason guys. They're, they're super excited. I don't know what they're so excited about. Like, they're selling these random, random pots and skillets and knives and all this stuff. And they're like, you got to have it. You can't live life without it. That's how, that's how they talk the whole time. They have a lot of energy. I, I commend them on that, though, because uh, they're selling nothing. But so they have all this energy. And, you know, sometimes I drive up to L.A. and to beat L.A. traffic living in Southern California, like I, I have to get up like at 430 or 5. That way I don't sit in three hours worth of traffic. 
So there was a morning that I was, I was up 5 a.m. and I'll, I'll just cut on the TV sometimes because I need things to like keep me up so I can get ready to get on the road. So TV is on. 5 a.m., there's nothing on but infomercials. So don't waste your time if you're up trying to find something to watch. It's just infomercials. But I had an infomercial on one time and it was this guy. He was talking about a pressure cooker. It's like, this pressure cooker is the best thing in the world. It can, and it showed a picture. It was like, it can make ribs. It can make hamburgers. It can make steaks. It can make fish. It can make all these things and vegetables. It, it creates a whole meal in 10 minutes. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So I bought it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, let, well, let me explain. So the, the guy, he was very convincing. It was 5 a.m. My mind wasn't right. I, I bought it. I don't know. Um, so he, he, he's, he's convincing me. He's saying all these things. And, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm not paying much attention. And he was like, hey, you, that's driving to work. And I'm like, huh? He's talking to me? No, no, he's not talking to me. So he keeps going. I hear him in the background. I hear him in the background. He's like, you ever get home and you just you don't feel like cooking and you feel like there was a, you wish you, there was a meal that was ready in 10 minutes and fully prepared and you didn't have to do anything? And I'm like, what? Is this guy in my house? Like, I, I was just thinking about that. Like, yeah, I want that. Like, what else? And I look on the screen, and I'm like, I'm a sucker for barbecue, and it's like ribs. And he's like, these ribs right here just came out of this, this pressure cooker in 10 minutes. I cook ribs in 10 minutes. I like ribs. 10 minutes, that's very efficient. So, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm listening now. So he's saying all these things, and, and of course, yeah, I bought it, and I tried to use it. It's terrible. It's horrible. Don't buy it. If you see that infomercial, turn on another infomercial. It's a waste of time. Pressure cooker. Doesn't work. I tried it. I tried ribs and whatever in there. They, they didn't look like they showed them on TV. I guarantee you they cooked those ribs and burgers and everything else and something else, and then they showed it on TV. It's a lie. I'm, I'm just venting right now because I got suckered into it. Don't do it. Sorry. So we talk about, we talk about those, those, um, those things that can lure us in. But that's what they're there for. And that's the same thing that Satan does. He's good about that. These things look like they're, they're great, but they're just a trap. They're just a trap. And you've got to be able to see those before it happens. Okay. So let's, uh, let's jump back into our verse. So looking at verse 6 still. Do not be anxious about anything. We just talked about that. But we've got to change here. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So Paul takes a sharp contrast here. He puts the but word in there, which means he's going to tell us something different or opposite than what he just told us. So normally when you get the but in a phrase, they give you the positive first. They tell you, but... Yeah, and then you know it's going downhill from there. Most of the time it's coming from like your bosses or your teachers. Like, hey, you're doing a great job. And you're like, thanks, I've really been working hard. And they're like, bye. And you're like, wait, what, what? I don't want that. Put a period there. Let's, let's end that conversation. It's like being on a roller coaster ride. And, you know, you, you've been waiting on a roller coaster ride since you're at, you're at Disneyland. And you're looking at this, this big, massive roller coaster ride. And you're high-fiving your friends. Yeah, we're about to ride on this ride. It's great. It's great. And then you finally get on and you're going up. And you're going up. And you're like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, we're going up to the sky. And you see how high it is. How high it is and then you get to the top and you realize, oh, shoot, I got to come down. And you, you look down, it's a little bit steeper than what you initially thought from down low. And you're like, here we go. And so at the, at the pinnacle of that ride is your butt. So you, you're encouraged the whole time, and then butt, then you get ready to drop. And the worst thing in the world there is they have a camera on the way down. So you're like, ah, and then they snap a picture. And they're like, hey, you want to buy this for 20 bucks? No, I don't want to buy that. It's a terrible picture of me. Why would I want to buy that? So 
Paul gives us the butt here, but what, what I love about this, and I imagine the Philippians did the same thing, is like Paul gives us the negative first. He tells us, don't be anxious. All right, so can't do that. Well, what can I do, Paul? Like, let me know. What's the alternative here? Where do we go from here? Well, that's point number two for us tonight. Let's write it down this way. Let your anxiety drive you to prayer. Let your anxiety drive you to prayer. Constant communication and reading the word is how we get closer to God. Right? You think about some of the great relationships that you have. Some of your best friends. Why are they your best friends? Because they know everything about you, right? They know the good, bad, the ugly, and they're still friends with you, right? That's why they're your best friends. And when you have these conversations with them, it's just effortless. Like as soon as you jump in a conversation, it's like a play-by-play. If y'all had a conversation this, that, that morning, you'd be like, hey, let me tell you about something that's going to happen this afternoon, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, right after that event happens, you call them right back up. So, hey, remember what I told you that was going to happen this morning? This is how it all played out. And, I mean, it's like play-by-play. It's, you, you don't miss a beat there. And it's because you're talking to that person constantly. That person knows everything about you. And so in these conversations that you're having, it's just, it's just effortless. But too many times we have these surface-level relationships. Y'all know what I mean by surface-level relationships. You have them a lot, right? It's that, that relationship that just has no depth other than this is what it sounds like. Hey, man, how you doing? How you been? Good. Good. How you been? Good. It's great weather outside, right? All right, man, I, I'll see you next time. It's good seeing you. Though. Let's, let's catch up soon. It's been a while. That, that's the surface-level conversation, right? It, it takes effort. But then sometimes that's how we are with God. We don't spend time in prayer enough, so then when we go down on our knees to pray, it's hard. You're like, well, what do we talk about? Like, I hadn't talked to you in a while. we got to be in constant communication with God the same way. If you're in constant communication with God, those prayers are effortless because you're used to giving him thanks. You're used to letting your requests be known to him. All of that stuff is free-flowing when you're in constant communication. It gets a little bit harder when you don't talk to God, when you don't know God. When you, when you have a low view of God, you don't, you don't talk to him because you don't think that he has that much to offer you, right? We're talking about the most high God. We're talking about the creator of the earth. We get the opportunity to, to get on our knees and speak to him. He wants to hear from us. We got to take advantage of that. Why wouldn't you want to do that? You talk to your friends all the time, but guess what? Sometimes your friends are not available. God's always available. They're busy. God, God's never too busy. He's always there to hear us. So let, let's, let's tackle this other word in, in, in the phrase of supplication. How many people use the word supplication this week? Anybody? Not to, oh, we got one. Nice. There you go. I like it. Not many people are using supplication on an everyday basis. Right? But I, I like the way the NIV puts this word. It's petition. But it's not just petition. It's a humble petition that we have. So letting our, letting our requests be known to God, God wants to hear from us, right? So Paul's, Paul's encouraging us to pray to God and pray specific prayers to God. Give our, let our requests be known to God. He wants to hear from us. And there's one or two reasons why we're not specific in prayer. One of them is 
we don't think God can handle our problems. We think our problems are too big for God. So we pray a broad prayer. So just in case it does go wrong, we can at least say, well, well I, know, I know God was here. He, maybe maybe he, he answered the prayer here. No, pray specifically to God. God knows when you're doing that. So, yeah, maybe it, it doesn't happen like, like you want it to because you don't have full trust. You don't have that faith that God's going to answer the prayer. All right. The other reason is you're afraid of the conviction and accountability that'll be placed upon yourself when you start to get really specific with prayers. Because it's going to require you to take some action. It's going to require you to do a few things. I'll give you an example of it. One prayer we see all the time in, in prayer requests is, God, let me be more bold, period. What does that mean? We got to get more specific there, right? What does that mean? That prayer should be sounding more like, God, let me be more bold. I got a meeting or lunch with Mike this afternoon. And look, I've been trying to share the gospel with Mike. Just had a lot of distractions and haven't had the opportunity to. But, but Lord, we're having this lunch together. I pray that you give me this open door opportunity to be able to share the gospel. And I pray that, that, that you just be top of mind in everything that I do. That's being more intentional. We're talking about a specific person. We're talking about a specific time. We're talking about a specific activity. All right. The other one that we talk about is, God, help me to know you better. Period. That's it. That's broad. What does that even mean? Let's get specific with it. God, help me to know you better. Help me to start waking up at 6 a.m. as opposed to 7 a.m. so I can spend an hour dedicated to studying and praying to you. And God, I know it's going to be tough. I know I'm going to face a temptation to go back to sleep every single day. It's not easy. But I pray that you give me the strength to overcome that temptation to get to know you better. And lastly, I pray for an accountability partner that's going to make sure that I'm up every morning, that I can text and follow up with. That's going to get you there. Right? That has more chances to get you there than just saying, let me know you better. That didn't even mean anything. That doesn't put any accountability. You, you, you get off free right there. You don't have to do anything. Right? That's the safe thing to do. Let's get more specific. Okay? The other thing is prayer requests. Let other people be involved in your prayers. That's another underutilized thing that we have today is prayer requests in your small groups. That should be something you should be updating every week. Letting people know what you're dealing with. How can we be praying for you? You got Echo out there. You got Prayer Mate. There, there's just a lot of apps that you can use uh, specific to prayer. And so one, one specific thing, and I'm talking to, I'm talking to the guys right now because, ladies, I, I want to give you all high fives here because you, you, most of you don't have a problem with this. Most of the time is, hey, how you doing? Well, back in third grade, it all started when I, I faced this. And I mean, you give the whole life story. It's, it's incredible. Like, I, I commend you for that. Like sometimes Chelsea will be like, hey, babe, I'm, I'm going out really quick for coffee to meet, meet, uh, meet one of the ladies. And, and I'll be back shortly. Three hours goes by and she comes home. And I'm like, well, how was that conversation? Was everything OK? And she's like, the conversation was incredible. It was incredible. It actually got cut short. She had to live. Cut short. <laughs> it's three hours. Like I took a nap and everything and you still aren't home. Um, but but guys, I, I'm, I'm talking to you. And then the minority of, of ladies that fall into this trap is, look, if you're not willing to let people into your prayer request 
or you're not willing to let people know what you need prayer requests for, then that, that's, that's your problem, right? That's your trust problem. That's not everybody else's. God put specific people in your life for a reason. And he wants you to be able to trust them to know that you can give over to them what you're struggling with and that they'll be praying for you. There's more to gain by having a lot of people praying for you than it is the slim chances of somebody that's a true believer leaking something that's confidential. That just typically doesn't happen. But we play it. We put this thought in our mind and Satan can convinces us that hey don't tell anybody your problem you just just deal with it by yourself really when he's saying like you just deal with it with me that's what satan is honestly saying to us because he loves isolation okay so we got to be letting people in to our lives the other thing is question that comes up is well why do we need to pray god's omniscient god's all knowing He, he he knows what i'm dealing with why do we need to pray by us praying to god and letting our requests be known to god that's showing that we have a full dependence on him. That's giving self-disclosure of, hey, I'm weak. God, I, I need you. And the fact that we're questioning that is, is very prideful, which is sinful. Okay? We shouldn't question it because if we're questioning why we should be praying to God, then what that shows is we're saying that God owes us something. I don't need to pray for it. God's going to take care of me anyway. He's just going to give it to me, whatever I need. He knows what I need. He's going to give it to me. Yeah, he, he might give it to you, but at the same time, we don't, he doesn't owe us anything. We're, we're not on his level. It's not like a buddy of yours, like, yeah, I know he's going to come through. I don't even have to talk to him. No, he wants to hear from us, and so we need to be praying for him, praying to him. Okay? And look, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to be weak in a world that tells you only the strong can survive. But scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. It shows in a world that's focused on being independent, that we're fully dependent on God. It shows in a world that tells us you can make life whatever you want it to be. Isaiah 43 shows us that the one and only reason that God created all of humanity is to glorify him, period. That's it. There's no and this, this, and this, and, and I love. That's it, to glorify him. That's why we were created. We need to be praying to know for ourselves that we have a need for him. That's why we need to let our request be known to God. But Paul also states that we should be praying with thanksgiving, giving glory to God, acknowledging him. As an example of Thanksgiving, Paul told you about his suffering resume already. So we're talking about somebody that's been in prison multiple times. He's been stoned, been beaten. But yet 10 out of 13 epistles that he wrote, they all start with Thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God. And I know you're thinking right now, well, I bet those three that he didn't start with, he's probably in prison. No, that's not the case. The, the multiple times that he was in prison... Those epistles started with Thanksgiving. So we need to be able to crowd our mind with positive thoughts, with godly thoughts. So I, I fly Southwest for work. And what I love about Southwest is there's a number system. So they give you A1 through 60, B1 through 60, C1 through 60. And where you fall, 
in that number system, you, that's where you enter the plane. When you get on a plane, whatever seat's available is yours. So typically, when I, when I have an A seating, then I get to choose whatever I want. I like, I'm tall, I'm 6'7", I like window, I like aisle even better, right? So I get on a plane, and I go to my aisle seat, I go to my window seat. And my goal, I know this is right, don't, I know you're going to be like, well, you shouldn't do that. I got it, just listen to me. All right, so when I get it, my, my goal when I get into a seat is I, I try to use all of my 6'7 frame. I try to get big in the seat. I don't want anybody to sit in the center seat. I, I need leg room. So I sit in there, right, put my arms on both armrests. I, like, stick my foot in the, the middle center part of it. That way it's the, one foot there, one foot there. I'm kind of leaning over on the middle seat. I want people to walk by and say, oh, that looks tight. I don't want to sit in there. That's my goal when I sit in that seat. It's like, I'm going to take up all the space that I can. I don't know what it is. Every time, it's always some nice person that walks by. Hey, can I sit there? And there's literally like 20 seats open. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what do I have on me that makes you want to sit next to me when there's just no space? Like, I'm doing this for a reason. Move on. But they don't. They sit next to me. We have a great conversation. I shouldn't be that way. I know. Got it. All right. So the reason I say that is, look, I try to crowd the middle seat. But what happens is, same thing with our mind. Whatever we fill our minds with, then that's how we act. All right? So we should be filling our minds with thanksgiving. We should be filling our minds with godly thoughts of, like, how great he's been in our lives. When we're filling our minds with thanksgiving, we're filling our minds with positive thoughts, we're filling our minds with what God has done for us, then that blocks out anxiety. That blocks out fear. That blocks out the ability to be worried because there's just no room in your mind. It's just filled up, and you, you just... You can't fit it in there, and so that's good. And that's what Paul's constantly doing is talking about Thanksgiving. You never heard anybody say, man, I got a problem. I'm just way too thankful. Life is hard. It, it just doesn't make sense. Like, it couldn't even flow together in a sentence. Can you imagine somebody saying, hey, man, I'm, I, you know what, I'm worried. Um, I'm lonely. I'm stressed out. Things just aren't going right, and it's all because I'm just thankful doesn't even make sense. It doesn't flow together, right? So when we fill our minds with these thankful thoughts, we don't even have to worry about all these other things, anxiety and all that other stuff, popping into our mind. I want to take 30 seconds real quick. This is going to require, this is a live application. So it'll require you to do some things other than listen to me talk, right? So speaking of Thanksgiving, I want you to take 30 seconds or so and write down three things that you're thankful for. So let's do that right now. Three things that you're thankful for. Okay. How was that? Good. Some people might have struggled with it a little bit. The reason you might have struggled with it is because you're not doing it often enough. And that's okay because that can change today, right? You might not be perfect with that. But James 1.17 tells us every good and perfect gift comes from God. So when we start to think about, have a high view of God and think about his goodness and what he's doing for us, that'll come a lot easier. But I want you to do that in some ongoing application things that I'll give you is, Whenever you start to feel anxious, take that time and step away and think about three things that you're grateful for. We do that in my household a lot. 
we do it with Bryce and sometimes Chelsea needs to check me and I have to check her of when we start to go down that rabbit hole of, of, of being, you know, not grateful. It's just, hey, stop. What, what three things are you grateful for? And what that does is turn your mind to focusing on being grateful and not necessarily all the negativity that you're spiraling downhill talking about at the current moment. The second application with that is what are you doing the first thing in the morning when you wake up? Are you grabbing your phone and are you looking on social media? Right? Are you scrolling through emails if you're, if you're working? I don't know. You have to answer that question. But what I'm getting to here is the first thing we should be doing is giving thanks to God. The first thing we should be doing is filling our minds with some positive thoughts. That way it can trickle out through the rest of the day. What you put in your mind at the beginning of the day, that first thing, it's going to stay with you for a majority of the day. If it's social media, then you're constantly going to be thinking about what you saw on social media. If it's email, you're constantly going to be thinking about that work that you have to do. If it's school, it's constantly going to be thinking about that paper that you have to get done at the, the beginning of the day. But what if you stopped and prayed? First thing you did, got out of bed, and you, you thought about what are those three things that you're thankful for? If you really want to take it to the next step, and I encourage you to do so, is get an accountability partner here. When you wake up in the morning, text your accountability partner and say, these are the three things I'm thankful for today. And it shouldn't be the same thing every single day, but there's a multitude of things that you're thankful for. So get an accountability partner. Take that for 30 days and then see how things change. And if you're one that's like, hey, I, my phone is my alarm clock. I don't, have, I, don't have, I don't have a choice. Go to Target and buy an alarm clock, an old school alarm clock. The only thing it can do is set alarm and play radio, AM, FM, maybe. That's it. Right? Let that be your alarm clock. And guess what? You can't control the snooze button that easily. You can't control the alarm sound. Because sometimes, yeah, I, don't, I know why you fall back asleep, because you got the soothing alarm sounds. Like, dun, 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 dun. I don't know what that tone was, but whatever. Um, so you got the soothing noise. If you go get an old school alarm clock, I guarantee you'll get up, because you're fearing for your life. Right? You're sleeping, and there's like, ah, ah, and you're like, oh, goodness. Oh, oh, almost died there. You can't go back to sleep after that. You can't hit a snooze button. Go get that. That'll wake you up. All right? So that, those are things that you can do that'll, that'll help you there. But then, so Paul, like, what am I supposed to do? You're telling me I can't be anxious. All right, you're telling me to go to prayer. I got that. What, what am I supposed to do? Let's, let's look at verse 7. Let's get back to the text. Bless you. That's not in the text. Um, Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this peace that he's talking about, God's peace, it's not the peace that the world has to offer. The world's going to tell you, hey, go see this person or take this list, go do all these things on this list and you'll have peace. Or take this substance and it's going to relieve you from whatever you're stressed out about or whatever you're worried about. But guess what? Once you come off that high, whatever it is, the problem is still there. Now you got less time to deal with the problem, right? You ever seen that, that, that Friday, Monday meme where, you know, the guy's in the office and it's Friday and he's like, Whoa! he throws the papers, papers are going everywhere. And then Monday he just comes back and he's picking up those same papers. That's what you're going through right now when you're trying to take the world's substance or advice for peace. It's not 
sustainable. It's not long-term. It's not permanent. We need a permanent peace. And that permanent peace is only a peace that God can give us, right? So what is, what is peace? What is God's peace that we're talking about here? First of all, it's the opposite of anxiety. It's putting full trust in God. God's peace is Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He took our place for the wrath that we were supposed to encounter. Jesus took that for us. So now we can have peace that we can go spend eternal life in heaven with God. So whatever's happening here, look, it's temporary. Our home is not here. Our home is in heaven with God. So we know at the end of the day that we're just one step closer to God. That's peace that you can have. The world will tell you that the world's going to end and we don't know what's going to happen. That's, that's a lot of uncertainty. That's not peace. You might can step away from it for a little bit, but that's just not peace, right? So if you know that God is the only supplier of true, true peace and you know that he loves you, then that gives us our point number three tonight. We got to trust that God will give you peace. Trust that God will give you peace. Paul had full trust in God. Paul knew that he would answer his prayers that he requested for the Philippians. And the reason he had that is because he had so much experience of God coming through and delivering on what he prayed for previously. He had experience. It says it like this in Philippians 4, 19, a few verses down. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's confidence. He's confident in, in God. He trusts that God's going to take care of everything. So Tuesday, November 11, 2014, it was a historic day in the NBA for the Los Angeles Lakers. For those of you that like Kobe Bryant, some do, some don't. But it was a historic day. And you probably didn't hear much about this day. You're probably asking me, like, what in the world happened the start of the season to the Lakers? Well, it was a historic day, and you didn't see any video montages about it or anything because Kobe Bryant on this day became the all-time leader in missed shots. That's, that's not something to be excited about. Like, there's four, over 4,000 people that have played in the NBA, and he's missed more shots than everybody else. Let me give you this exact number. 13,148 misses. So based on the amount of games that he played, he averaged a little less than 10 misses per game. The average NBA player probably shoots the ball maybe eight times. Kobe averaged 10 misses per game, all right? But he's also a top five all-time scorer. And what I respect about Kobe so much is that no matter how many shots he missed, he was 100% confident that next shot he was taking, it was going in. There was no doubt in his mind. In the basketball world, they call it shooter's mentality, right? It doesn't matter if you miss one, two, five, ten shots. When I shoot this next shot, it's going in. I know it's going in. And the reason I'm so confident and I know it's going in because I've seen it go in thousands of times in previous experiences in basketball games or previous experiences practicing by myself shooting these same shots, it's gone in. So when I get ready to let this shot fly, I know it's going in. I don't care what everybody else is saying. I've seen it happen. That's what Paul's telling us here. And many of the people in the NBA, they don't have this. It's very rare to have that type of mentality. Most times when you get in a slump, these people just... they. 
they ended up falling out the league. That cost them their career because they just couldn't get out of it. And mentally, they were all jacked up and they couldn't even play to their normal potential because they missed so many shots. They were in a slump. So let me ask you this. Do you have a shooter's mentality with God? Right? Do you know every time that you drop to your knees and you pray and you have a request to God that it's going to be delivered? His will, not yours. Do you have that confidence? Unlike Kobe, God is perfect. God hasn't missed. Kobe's missed a lot of shots. God hasn't missed. So how much confidence should we have in our God that when we pray to him, that he's big enough to take care of whatever minor problems that we have? If there was a a smaller word, I'd use that because it's just that. We have a big God that can deal with anything. He created this world. He can deal with our problems. The biggest problem that both believers and non-believers have is that we, we, we pray, but then we don't trust God. So pray has become so watered down, and it's become so cliche, and we don't even trust God. Right? We tell ourselves, oh, I'm praying, and, and what comes to mind for me is social media. Like when tragedies happen and when things pop up, it's like, oh, pray. So Thousand Oaks was our, our most recent tragedy, Right? How many times did you see, oh, pray for a thousand oaks, pray for this, pray for that, pray for that? How many of those people are actually praying is the question. That's what I want to know. Because I know when you're excited about something, when you go to a sporting event, when you go to Disneyland, like people are posting stories, people are posting videos. They want you to feel, they want you to see the excitement that they're having, right? They want you to experience what they're experiencing, right? I'm going to show you this sporting event. I'm going to show you my ride on, on, at Disneyland. But you, you would never see somebody say, I had fun at Disneyland and post that. Like, what is that going to do for you? But we, we post that about prayer. We, we spend so much time trying to create this, this great picture of what it looks like. Thousand Oaks in the background, got a little fire over here, and got, you know, this over there. Pray. Like, we spend most time doing that, and we're not even praying. I challenge you to ask one of those people that say, hey, pray for whatever the incident was. Hey, what would you pray about? I'm curious. I want to know. I want to pray with you. What did you pray about? You know the answer. If they did pray, it had nothing to do with trusting God. It had more to do with how much attention, how many likes can I get off of this post. And let me clarify one thing. Trusting God does not mean let go and let God. I see that bumper sticker all the time. I want to get out of my car and like rip it off and get back in the car and take off. I won't do that. Probably end up in jail somewhere. Not going to do that. But I'm tempted to because like, it drives me crazy. God's not a genie. That's not biblical. You don't just let go and let God. If you're looking for a job, you need a job, and you're, 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 you're praying about it, and you're saying, God, I need a job. I, I want to work. And then you go home and sit on the couch, and you don't do anything to help your cause. I work in HR. I hire a lot of people. I'm not hiring you. That's lazy, right? And if you're lazy when you're trying to get a job, you're going to be that much more lazy when you get the job. I wouldn't hire you. There's some action that's required, right? There's some trust that God can make things happen. We got to work towards things so God can then open doors for us to accept that blessing. It's not just sit back, let go, and let God. So does that mean that we won't struggle? We don't face any difficult times? No. And that's the main reason why people that try or attempt to take the walk of faith to Christianity, they claim to be, they, they bail out. Because they've seen somebody that's a true Christian that's like, hey, I want that peace that you got. What do you have? 
What, what, what is it? What is it? And somebody might tell me, hey, trust in God. Repent of your sins. Give your life to Christ. They're like, okay, cool. I, I want to do that. And then the first sign of adversity, they bail out. They're like, oh, this, this life is too hard. This life, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like, I thought it was going to be happy and glory like you are. Yeah, this life is not easy. And you know that, Christians. It's not easy. And it's, it's going to continue to get harder and harder, right? So talking about difficult times, turn with me to Daniel 3. Daniel 3. So I'm going to pick out a couple verses in here, but I'll, I'll, I'll sum up where at the beginning of where we're getting to. So we're talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. T- King Nebuchadnezzar has built this golden image, right? And he, he loves this image. And so he's built this image, and he makes this decree that everybody, when the music plays, they have to bow to the, and worship this image. Okay? Everybody in the city has to do that. If you don't do that, the consequence is you get thrown into the fiery furnace. And you get burnt alive. Okay, so there's these Chaldeans that know that the three Hebrew Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they know that they serve a Most High God, and that they're not going to worship this golden image. <clears throat> so they wait and they go view specifically to see that. Yep, they're not worshiping. Let me go back and tell the king. They go back and tell King Nebuchadnezzar, Hey, the three Hebrew boys, they're not they're not bowing down like you told everybody else to do. So Nebuchadnezzar calls them in. And gives them one last chance. Hey, I heard you're not bowing down. I'm going to give you one last chance. I'm going to play the music. And I, I need you to bow down in front of me right now. So we start in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answer to his giving him one last chance and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he would deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. That's not going to make him happy. King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So at this time, he, he, he's mad. He, he lights up the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it normally is. So, so hot that the guys that are escorting them into the fire, they get, they get burnt and they get killed. Right? And so these three are bound into the fiery furnace, and now they're in there, right? They're bound up. You would think they're going to be burnt alive. So Nebuchadnezzar takes a look in there, and they're still there. And he, he asked the people that are with him, hey, didn't we put them in there? Didn't we bound them, right? Didn't that happen? And he, he's confused. And he, you look at verse 25, he answered and said, but why do I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt? And the appearances of, of the fourth, it's like a son of God. And in that verse 29 and 30, he, he gets them out of the furnace and they don't have a mark to show for it. So he's so like blown away and realizing that, oh, you serve the most high God. He makes another decree and says, anybody who messes with their God, we're going to tear your limbs off and we'll, you'll be killed. And they get promoted. Do you think in that specific time that you know that was a hard predicament for them they probably wanted to get out of there they probably easily could have said like hey we'll, we'll bow down let us go like don't don't do that to us but they didn't they had faith in god they had a peace about them that knew that hey it doesn't matter what you do if you throw me in there if you don't like we're just not doing it and we know that god will be will deliver us and he did they didn't know at the specific time that that meant that they would come out of the fiery furnace 
They were okay with going to be burnt alive and then going to be closer to God. It doesn't always mean we'll be able to understand or explain why. Paul definitely had this in mind in, uh, in verse 7. He says, it surpasses all understanding. Sometimes things can't be explained. God doesn't owe us an explanation. He's not here to satisfy the human intellect. One of my favorite verses on this is Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. You can just jot that down, and I'll just read it for you. It's, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He doesn't owe us an answer. A few verses that I'll just give you to jot down that when we think about God's peace, this is just a good reminder of it. It's Romans eight twenty eight. Write that down for me. And it says, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. The world likes to put a period there, but that's not it. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's not just everything's going to work out for good, how you think it's going to work out for good, but it's for God's purpose. First Corinthians ten thirteen, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He's not going to put more on us that we can handle. So we have to understand that if, if you might feel like you're at your wits end. I can't handle it anymore. God's got you. He's right there. He knows what you can handle. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God's right there with us all the time. So story I have, and uh, so we, we've been at Compass for five years now. Um, I was saved in spring of 2015. It's a glorious time for me. Loved it. It's awesome. Finally got to, to rejoice and fellowship and, and be around the church and, and really understand my, my, my true reason why I was here on earth. In my true purpose, it was great, but it was it, it was slightly difficult uh, because the love of my life we we now had a different purpose for life, right? So my view was God, and Chelsea at the same time didn't have God as that view. We didn't have we weren't aligned on that. So if you can imagine that marriage, while it, while it was good, there was just we just had differences there, and so it, it just didn't have that alignment there. So it was tough. You know, it, it, I wanted to be, I looked at the church and I, I had a little bit of envy around people that would go to Thrive. People would ask me all the time, like, hey, why aren't you in Thrive? And I'd tell them, ah, you know, I, I don't really have time for Thrive. The real reason was, like, Chelsea, she wasn't ready to go to Thrive. She didn't want to go to Thrive. Um, so I couldn't do that. I looked at people in my men's Bible study group and they would talk about, hey, I'm praying with my wife. You know, we study together. And I longed for that. I'm like, dang, that, that'd be cool to have that. Um, so I, I tried to control the situation for a while. I tried to, you know, set up some double dates. I, I set up some with some people that I knew would share the gospel. Like, I don't even know if I knew them that well, but I knew that they would just share the gospel out of nowhere. And so I, like, invited them to dinner and things like that. I tried to control the situation. I didn't have a trust. In, a trust I trusted God, but I didn't have full trust that he would take care of it because I wanted it to happen right then and there. All right, so I, I saw Pastor Mike uh, at the gym, 24-Hour Fitness, 
Um, and we were just talking, and I was telling him about this. And, you know, I'm going to Pastor Mike for some wisdom. I wanted him to say, hey, you do A, B, and C, and she'll be saved, like that ever existed. Um, but but I, I wanted that wisdom, and so I was talking to him. He said, Kellen, just pray. And a little bit more, he said, just pray. And so the first thing I thought, negative thought popped in my mind, like, ah, he doesn't know Chelsea. Like, she's indecisive, and she doesn't know what she wants for dinner if I give her one option. Um, I, love, I love her, though. I love her. Um, but she, he doesn't know. So, I, you know, I prayed. I prayed for a week. Prayed for a month. Prayed for a year. Didn't see much happening. But that was because I was looking at the outer surface. I finally got the courage enough to open up to my men's Bible study group open up to people around the church and say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Can you be praying for me? And lo and behold, when I finally did that, it's like women came out of the floodgates. I had a lot of guys in my men's Bible study groups, their wives were calling Chelsea, going on walks with her, going to get coffee with her, going to dinner with her, things like that. It, it was incredible. And I, I realized, like, I, I wanted to step back, but at the same time when I prayed, God's like, no, I still need you in there. I just don't need you to control the situation. I got it, but I need you in there. And so I still remained obedient. I still prayed every day. I still read the Bible every day. I still encouraged to go to church every week. And then in 2016, things started to change. All these ladies started to show love to Chelsea, NAVMO, all, all of those groups that we have, like they just showed this tremendous amount of love. And I, I remember seeing it. 2016 things were happening a little bit different like there were days that I'd be praying and before I got down to pray she'd be like hey can I pray with you I got of nowhere so I, I would pray and she would just listen there would be days that I'd be reading the Bible and she said hey I saw this what's the Bible I have to say about that so we started having those Bible discussions right there would also be days that, you know, I was thinking about, should we go to church today? And she would say, hey, let, let's go to church. Let, let, let's go hear Pastor Mike speak. That's what she loved to do. But whatever, got her in the door. Um, let's go hear Pastor Mike's speech. 2016 Christmas, it's one of the best gifts I ever got. And it was the most unexpected gift I've ever got. Chelsea bought tickets to the, the marriage retreat for 2017. Not a believer. Does she understand we're going to be around a whole bunch of believers away? There's no escape. They're, they're everywhere. Um, I didn't know, but she, she bought them, and that was her surprise for me. Uh, and it was one of the greatest gifts I ever got. And we went to that marriage retreat, and it was, it was fantastic. We had a great time. So it's 2017. Later on, 2017, God gave me one of the best gifts ever, and that was that he saved Chelsea around Good Friday. So now the love of my life is right by my side, walking down a spiritual path. It's God's timing. I wouldn't have had it any different if I look back on it. If I'd have rushed that decision, if God would have made it happen earlier, maybe it would have been great, but if it was up to me, he'd have made it happen right away. No, he needed me to go through some bumps and some bruises, some anxiety. He needed me to develop some thick skin, to see her, Step backwards, step forward, step backwards, step forward, and know that 
I still needed to trust in him. So he taught me a lot there. So I wouldn't change it anyway. But it required me to trust God. <clears throat> so look, what I'm saying is, like, if you don't have God in your life, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, I get it. I can see why you struggle with anxiety. It's going to be there. Yeah, I, I get it. It makes sense. Those anxiety stats that I gave you at the beginning, you ask me my opinion, they're going to continue to rise. Because God said this world is going to continue to get worse until Christ comes back. So anxiety is going to continue to get worse and worse. People that are anxiety, anxious, they're going to get together and they're going to breed children that are anxious. And that's all they're going to see. It's going to get a lot worse. So whether you're somebody that's, you know, you're somebody that's just you know, macho or you're, you're, you don't want to come out and say you're anxious about a certain situation, or more importantly, anxious about where you're going to end when this life is over, or you're somebody that just word vomits and gives you everything on first conversation, there's only one solution, and that's the peace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you, you provide a peace. Provide a peace that we don't have to worry, Lord. Provide a peace that the world can't offer. Only you can offer. And we have to believe in you in order to get it, Lord. But we, we just thank you. And we know that, that anxiety is prevalent in today's society, Lord. But I pray that each and every individual that's in this room, each and every individual that's listening, that they're able to take these tools that you've specifically given us in your word and go combat anxiety. Don't let it overtake us. Be able to fight back, Lord. I thank you for that. I thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to know that 2,000 years ago you wrote all these things that we struggle with today, and you made them very clear, and you told us don't be anxious. So I pray that we can take that to heart today. I pray that tomorrow, as soon as we face anxiety because it's going to come it's going to come whether it's, if it's not tomorrow it's the day after it's going to happen i pray that we can look back at some of these things that we talked about tonight we can look back at your word and we can trust you to know that you'll have us to overcome it but we need you lord we have to have you there's just no other way so i pray that that's in the hearts of everybody today in jesus name we pray amen